Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 50 for February 28th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski. This week, I'm proud to uh, have my friend Tony Ross here. Tony, welcome back. Thank you, Chet. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a couple months, I think, since you've been on the Chat Chat, so... Uh, it's good, good to uh, have you join us. We've got some interesting topics that I think we're going to have a good chat about. I'm going to get a, a, one thing out of the way that's just kind of an administrative note here at the beginning. Uh, Windows 7 Service Pack 1 was released this, uh, in this past week. So uh, looking at it from a high level, I mean, it's certainly probably worth considering to get it out there uh, in the not-too-distant future, but it doesn't really have that much of an impact on security. So, I mean, you know, there may be hidden security fixes in it, but if you're up to date on Windows Update, you're pretty well up to date. Uh, there are a lot of other bug fixes that weren't necessarily released in previous Windows updates. So, you know, it, it's not like ignoring it. And in my experience, you know, I've implied it on my home machine, that kind of thing, but uh, I'm not in a rush on the corporate side. I want to, you know, get some feedback from the field and see how things are. But I don't think there's any real security implications. So at this point, you're probably safe to to hold back for a little bit, um, listen to the noise if there's problems in the community, and if it's good, you know, then evaluate it for yourself and roll it out. Uh, in the news, a uh, new Trojan called Odd Job um, can it's got a new approach to stealing your banking credentials. So did your bank use any kind of two-factor authentication, Tony? No, actually, it's it's something I wish they did use. Nothing, huh? See, my, my bank does these pictograms where when I oh. first uh, created my account, it's like, okay, you, you can pick a picture of the house or you can picture a picture of the, the birdie, and then you've got to click those out of the grid every time it comes up. It, it's rather rudimentary and not very effective, but uh, it looks like the criminals may have gotten sick of banks that actually did implement two-factor authentication. My my mistake. When, when you said two-factor, I was thinking more... Uh, advanced and i w wish they gave me something like an rsa token uh, along that lines of two-factor they do the silly ask secondary question every time i log in yeah well and that's not really i guess to be fair neither of those things are truly two-factor i mean in the in the stance of you know what a security professional would think of as two-factor it's something you have and something you know and in the case of two things that i know that's not something i have it's two things i know which isn't all that hot um, but either way, these guys seem to have gotten bored of the idea that some banks are doing SMSs, some banks are providing those little tokens like RSA tokens and, and things like this. And so this Trojan is actually designed to hijack the session ID that's given to your browser from within the browser. So it defeats the idea of using HTTPS or SSL. It defeats the two-factor, the whole thing that the Trojan just sits there and waits. And once you're fully online with your Royal Bank of Canada or whatever you're using, uh, it just grabs a session ID instant messages it off to the criminals, and then they can hijack your session in real time. So it kind of implies that the criminals have like a... Uh, a live network of crooks waiting to take your banking credentials and yeah. use them. Yeah, but I mean, it, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, like you were talking to me earlier about dating scams and things, and they're always seeming to be available on Facebook chat and Zeusk chat and all these kinds of things to interact with you live to get, you know, to do the advanced fee fraud. So why not get your bank credentials? Maybe maybe they do multiple things. Maybe this is like a call center where, depending on which light lights up on the instant messenger, they know whether they're stealing your banking credentials or whether they want to go on a date. I, I fully envision call centers like that full of crooks run by, you know, mafia network type gangs. So, yeah, I thought that it's, it, it's disappointing, but what are you going to do? I guess the, the answer is have proper uh, firewalls, have proper antivirus, you know, block network connections that don't belong there, and that's about the way to get safety. But uh, I always hate to see the bad guys take another step forward. 
other news, uh, we, I blogged about this earlier in the week. Uh, HIPAA introduced their first fines against Mass General Hospital and Signet Health of Maryland. Uh, this wasn't for electronic records, but to me it raised up some interesting issues that I thought we could talk about because in both cases, paper records were involved in the penalties. Well, in Signet's case, it was mostly just gross negligence, but in the case of Mass General, it was some accidentally left behind paperwork. And I, I got the impression from what I understand of DLP and encryption and things like this that it, does it even make sense to continue to have paper medical records? In my opinion, absolutely none whatsoever. You cannot protect that information unless you have your uh, paper records locked in a steel lockbox. How, how does one protect that sort yeah. of information? How good does the lock need to be, right? I yeah. Mean, it's... In terms of storage, there's also disposal of this information, and, and is it correctly disposed of? Uh, and if you're hiring outside parties to do that, uh, our transportation of this information and hiring outside parties to do that. And you can still do it wrong with electronic. I mean, we've seen several incidences recently where backup tapes have been stolen in transit, either through UPS or through courier services. And if those backup tapes aren't encrypted, then you still have a problem. But I guess if you're following best practice and you're encrypting your records, whether they're intentionally being taken outside the organization or not, you kind of have this default protection against ever being in noncompliance. In, in my mind, the, the true strength are... Well, the true benefit of electronic form of media is people see the cost savings, smaller, lighter, cheaper, faster, but really it's the fact that we can secure this information if it's electronic. Yeah, and, and uh, the you know HIPAA only calls for electronic records to be encrypted if they're leaving uh, the healthcare provider's facility, et cetera, which still leaves a gap from a data loss perspective standpoint where you may not think that those records are leaving so they're not encrypted and then turns out somebody put them on a usb stick uh but if you know once you've paid for the encryption why on earth wouldn't you just encrypt every you know encrypt everything and then know that you can rest you know you can have a good night's sleep uh, absolutely uh, encrypt every single asset you have and you never need worry about where sensitive data may be no you just need to worry about the users choosing a password of kitty but, you know, that's a separate problem, user education. Um, I, I had another story I wrote that uh, we got some, a lot of commentary around in the last 10 days, which was that the you know, solid-state disk drives, these SSD drives that everybody's starting to get all excited about because of their you know, performance improvement and they're lightweight and they're great for things like a MacBook Air where you want a tiny little device, um, they're really, really hard to erase. And I don't know that a lot of people considered the complexities of the way that, it, you know, you're not talking about a spinning platter. There's no longer magnetic media here. Uh, it's much more complicated. And there's all these translation layers and firmware and, you know, the operating system trying to outsmart the BIOS and the BIOS trying to outsmart the operating system. And, you know, Tony, you and I in the past have done a lot of uh, good old DD and erasing stuff. And I know you had a friend that wanted to decommission a hard drive and you're like, hey, can you erase this for me? I'm like, sure, I can write some zeros. I can write some ones. I can write some zeros. We're all good to go, right? And it doesn't work on SSDs. This, I love this principle because as data loss becomes so important in our society now, as we just discussed, and how it just makes sense to simply encrypt everything you have. We have brand new technology to enable users to be even more mobile than they were before. Yet, if these devices can't be erased, that means when you're done with it or you're upgrading, the old one has to go through the chipper. 
Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we we had a, a follow-up story today from one of our colleagues in Germany that's in our data protection group, and, you know, his opinion is, you know, the only absolute way to know that an SSD is clean is to encrypt it from day one, and preferably to use hard disks, or SSDs, not hard disks, but um, use drives that include the Opal encryption ability, the hardware encryption inside of it that you can manage through tools like our tools and other people's tools. You can manage these centrally still, but to use that hardware encryption that's built in and the providers that provide you with these Opal encrypted drives are supposed to provide uh, a command to instruct the drive to securely erase the keys. The problem is it's very difficult for an organization to confirm that that's actually happening. So he was calling for some outside test organizations or for these manufacturers to step up and say, yes, we'll have our drives tested by a trusted third party, similar to what we do to get um, uh, what's the uh, FIPS 140-2 certification that we get for our algorithms for encryption uh, to have a, a similar party test these Opal SSD drives and say, yes, when you issue the command erase you know, key storage area, then the drive is well and truly bricked. And right now we have to assume that that works because it's very difficult to verify. Uh, but I think the chipper shredder is what I'd be doing. I mean, it, with the commoditization of this stuff and the prices falling through the floor, I mean, you hate from an earth-friendly standpoint to destroy something, yet I wouldn't take the chance. If I had data on those things that I cared about, uh, it would definitely be the sledgehammer. Is, is it one more uh, motivating element behind two-factor authentication, in fact? Uh, certainly, you know, that would be, an, that's an interesting point. If you were to use smart cards or other devices to access um, or decrypt those keys, then that's another layer of protection, certainly. But I guess the question is for people in regulatory situations, what we don't know is, do any of these things meet the regulations? Uh, you know, I don't think SSDs were taken into consideration when many of the regulations were, were written. I, I did receive some correspondence from uh, someone in the UK who's uh, in, uh, related to government work over there and tipped me off that non-published internal government standards do require you to physically destroy SSDs now um, in the UK. So clearly they're not keen on software eraser. And lastly... Um, just wanted to, you know, blow toot our own horn a little bit. Um, last week, well, week and a half ago at RSA conference in San Francisco, uh, the SC Magazine Awards, we won the Reader's Choice Award for the best email security uh, appliance product, which I was very excited about in the team here in Vancouver because we developed that product here at this office. We're we're extremely excited, and unfortunately, the award itself is still in shipping somewhere. We we're not sure if uh, it's been apprehended by by McAfee or something en route, but hopefully uh, it'll be here in Vancouver soon and we can have a little party and celebrate our victory. If, if I recall correctly, Chet, before you were the famous Chet, Chet, Chet Wisniewski blog and podcast guru, you were in fact the technical product manager of that particular product, were you not? Yeah, I, I was at the initial inception of the product when we first created it and uh, it was quite it was quite fun, although there have been two or three other individuals in that role since I've performed it. So uh, I think the, you know, the, the dev team, the QA team, the product management team as a whole, there's a giant group of us that have had our hands in this product to make it what it is, and we're all extremely proud uh, of the result. As should be. And also, Mr. Graham Cluley uh, from Naked Security won the Security Blogger of the Year Award at the SC Magazine event as well. So congratulations to Graham. 
And last but not least, Naked Security itself at a different, uh, there's an event called the Security Bloggers Awards, where many of us security bloggers, over 400 of us, uh, participated in voting uh, from around the world. And we won the most educational security blog, which of all the categories, not that the other categories, congratulations to all the other winners, but um, of all the categories, we were quite proud to be the most educational because that's really the goal of Naked Security is to provide you timely news that you can act on to better secure your organization and inform your users. And uh, that accolade is something we're, we're extremely proud of as well. So till next time, this has been Safa Security Chat Chat, episode 50. As always, you can get our podcasts at podcasts.sophos.com or on iTunes or via RSS, however you like it. Until Until next time, time, stay stay secure. secure.